0: Turn with you in your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and uh, continuing a series of sermons that began a few weeks ago in the, in the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and uh, this is now the fourth message, and we are uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and this morning it will be verses 12 through 17. 1 Timothy 1, beginning with verse 12, where Paul writes this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the grace and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to spend time with your people in your word. And we know that this is a valuable time because it is your word that gives us strength. When we're weak, he gives us hope. In times of despair, he gives us direction when we are lost. It gives us peace when we are troubled. And we know that it does all of that because, most of all, it points us to Jesus. It guides us to Christ. And I pray that today we would see him and we would meet him and we would learn from Him. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Well, something we don't do often at North Point and something that's not often done in many Presbyterian churches is to have a testimony time. A lot of churches do provide an opportunity in a public worship service for people to give a testimony about how they were saved or what God is doing in their lives or how God is working in them. Now, it's not that we don't have those opportunities, but usually the opportunities that we have for those kinds of things are in smaller settings. I'm sure that when the women in the church get together, there are opportunities sometimes, for example, for women to share how God is working in their lives, where they're struggling, where they need prayer. Uh, The men of the covenant meetings sometimes provide bad opportunity for men to talk about their relationship with Christ and how they came to faith or where God is working in their lives or where they're struggling. The elders and deacons have a time built into their meetings where there is, uh, they're encouraged to, to be transparent about those kinds of things and and to share where God is working or where they're struggling or where they need prayer. And so even though we do not usually give time for testimonies in public worship, uh, we certainly want to provide opportunities for people to talk about how they came to faith and what God is doing in their lives and how God is working in them, where they're struggling spiritually and how they're growing in their faith. And that's important. It's important for us to reflect and to think and to ponder and to consider not just how he came to faith, But how is our faith? Not just how we started along this journey that we know as the Christian life, but how are we doing in it? Are we growing in it? Are we maturing in it? Are we finding joy in it? Are we experiencing peace in it? Are we being useful in God's kingdom? It's good to reflect and to point back to the wonder and the marvel of God's grace in our lives and all that He has done for us and all that He means to us. And I begin there this morning because that is where Paul is in this letter as he writes it. Timothy is giving us this morning. He gave it to Timothy years ago, but he's giving to Timothy and now to us his own personal testimony, talking about his experience of coming to faith in Christ, and also being called to do ministry. Now there are some commentators, when you study 1 Timothy, especially chapter 1, there are some commentators who think that this passage is kind of a digression from Paul's train of thought, that it's almost a kind of parenthetical section that isn't directly related to what he's just been talking about, but I don't believe that's true at all. I think this logically follows all that Paul is telling Timothy in this first chapter of 1 Timothy. He's been telling Timothy to be on guard against false teachers and to protect the church against those false teachers. We think they were insiders, members of the church, perhaps leaders in the church who were teaching things that were not true. Remember that Paul starts right off saying, you stand in the gap, Timothy. You stand up to those false teachers. Protect the congregation from false teaching and make sure they get true teaching. And he went on to kind of identify what that false teaching was. It was a misunderstanding, a misapplication of the law of God. These false teachers are putting too much emphasis on works and what man could do and not enough emphasis on grace and what God has done. And then Paul encapsulated the true message that Timothy was to give to the people. And in verse 11, he summarized that by calling it the glorious gospel. The theme of this first chapter of 1 Timothy is the church and its message. And what is the message of the church? The message of the church is the gospel, the glorious gospel, Paul calls it. The gospel that is indeed the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so, Paul is talking about the gospel, the glorious gospel. And now in our passage this morning, he's holding himself up as exhibit A of what the gospel does in the life of a sinner. Paul is giving us his own personal testimony. You know what a testimony is? A testimony is something that describes what God has done in our lives, taking us from point A to point B to point C. And Paul says, I was this, but now I'm that. And I'm made this change because of the wonderful work of God's grace in my life. Paul is telling us here through his own personal testimony how sinners like us can be forgiven. How lost people like us can be found. And how estranged people, people like us estranged from God, can be reconciled to him. As I said, it's a testimony that has two parts. One is his call to the ministry, but also his uh, call to salvation. I'm going to look at those two things together as we go through this passage. We see several things here. First, we see Paul's gratitude in verse 12. This, this testimony that Paul gives actually begins and ends with an expression of thanksgiving and of praise to God. And it's appropriate that he begins and ends that way, isn't it? Because, after all, salvation is all about him. Salvation is all about God. <laughs> and that's one area, I think, where Reformed theology is so helpful. It helps us see everything from God's perspective, including our salvation, all of life. The Bible teaches us is lived under the sovereignty of God, including who we are in Christ, and therefore, in all of life, in all of life, we are called upon to give God the praise, and God the glory, and God the honor, including the matter of our salvation. Salvation is work of. God. It is a gift of His grace. It is received by faith and not achieved by works. And so Paul begins his testimony in verse 12 saying, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. He immediately puts the focus Godward. There is no basis you see for self-back or self-congratulations in regard to spiritual things. All thanks goes to Jesus for what he has done for us and that's what Paul does here he begins by thanking Christ Jesus and notice that for which he thanks him in verse 12 he says i thank Christ Jesus our lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service he is thanking Christ there for putting him putting him into service. Now he says three things about it that actually here in this verse. He says that Paul strengthened, he says that Christ strengthened me Christ considered me faithful and Christ put me, he says, into service. You see, Paul knew that his service for the gospel was only by the power of Christ. Christ strengthened him for it. That's that's the Godward perspective. What did, what did Paul say? I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. And Paul knew he could not do it on his own. You have strengthened me, he said. But then he says another another interesting, from the human perspective, you can he considered me faithful. What's Paul saying there? He's not saying at all that he kind of earned his apostleship by what he had done. I think what he's saying is that, you know, God realized that even before his conversion paul was a faithful man paul was faithful to what he believed he may have believed the wrong thing paul was faithful to what he believed he was called to do it was the wrong thing but he was committed to it wasn't he, he was faithful to it and what paul's conversion did it changed that faithfulness it changed that commitment from the wrong thing to the right thing, from being against Christ to being for Christ, from trying to destroy the church to trying to build up the church. And, and, and Paul was thankful for it. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who strengthened me, who considered me faithful, and who put me in the service. Then secondly, we see Paul's need in the first part of verse 13. And there is no question that Paul's need was great. Let's be clear about something. Your appreciation of the grace of God will be in direct proportion to your understanding of your need. If you don't think your need is great, then you won't think God's grace is very great. If you think, let's be more practical about it, if you think there's something you can do if there's some way you can merit or earn or deserve God's favor and all you need is just a little bit to get you along the way then you won't have much of an appreciation for the for the grace of God will you? When you sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, it just won't be all that amazing and when you realize, as we read from Ephesians 2 earlier this morning in our unisonary of Scripture, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were helpless and hopeless, and then God showed us His grace. When you realize your need, then you understand the marvel of God's grace. There's a reason the five points of Calvinism start with total depravity aren't with us. You've got to have the right view of yourself to understand the marvel and the wonder of God's grace. And that's where Paul was. He says, God put me into service, verse 13, even though, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Now, we could spend a lot of time this morning talking about Saul before he became Paul. We could spend a lot of time talking about who he was and what he did. You know, the Bible says that Paul was breathing out, literally breathing out threats and murder against the church. Paul was at the Standing there when, when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned, he held the coats. It's almost like it set a fire in him. And he went to all the authorities getting, a, getting permission to go to various places and arrest every Christian he could find. To throw them into in the prison and have them put to death. He was doing everything he could to stamp out the church but you know his hatred for the church was really deeper wasn't it it was really a hatred for Christ his persecution of the church was really a persecution of Christ that's what Jesus said on the Damascus road when he accosted him with a great light he said Saul, Saul he didn't say why are you persecuting the church he said Saul, Saul why are you persecuting me That's who who this man was. He had a great need because he realized he was a great sinner. And so Paul understood his helpless situation. He knew because of who he was and what he had done. He didn't deserve anything from God. And so, in giving his testimony, he first thanks Christ and then he expresses his need. And then, third, we see Paul's experience into verse 13 and into verse 14. And this is really the very heart of Paul's testimony. Listen to what he says, middle of verse 13. Yet, remember he just said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Yet, you can put a parenthesis almost, in spite of that. I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. You get the point of what Paul's saying there? He's saying, even though I was as bad as I was, even even though I did all the horrible things I did, In spite of all that, God showed me mercy. And in spite of all that, I received God's grace. What's at the heart of Paul's testimony? It is God's mercy and it is God's grace. And if your testimony this morning of your salvation doesn't go there, then you need to ask some very hard questions about your own relationship with Christ. Because, folks, the only way to be right with God is through His mercy and as a result of His grace. It's been said that mercy and grace are God's love in action. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Okay? We deserve punishment. Mercy is God sparing us of that. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation. And God does give us that. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians Ephesians 2 tells us. But just a few verses earlier, it talks about God showing us his mercy. Now I want you to notice something about what Paul says about the, the grace of Jesus in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord, he says, was more than abundant. Literally it says superabundant. And your translations may have some wording that reflects that. The picture here is of a river. Let's we'll call it a river of grace. This overflowing its banks. So that the grace of God just comes sweeping over your soul. That's the picture there of the superabundant grace of God. His grace that is more than abundant. And what the Bible says is says, as sin increases, guess what? Grace increases all the more. Do you understand that? Paul understood it because he had such great sin and great need. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what sin you've committed. I don't care what you're doing now. Oh, I care, but you get the point. It doesn't matter what sin it is. The grace of God is greater than that sin. And through the blood of Jesus, every sin you've ever committed can be wiped away, blotted, so that your soul is white as snow. We're in a Baptist church, that'd get an amen. (laughs) Now some people think, well, if that's true, if grace increases... The way sin increases, guess what it ought to do? Paul talks about that in in Romans. Uh, sin more, get grace more. Paul says that's not the way it works, because that's an abuse. If you really received God's grace and really been forgiven, you don't want to sin more. You want to do what? You want to sin less to please God in all you do. So, that's Paul's experience. His salvation was a result of the wonderful mercy and the amazing grace of God shown to him in Christ. There is an abundance of grace for needy sinners. Fourth, in the fourth place we see that, we see Paul's confidence in verse 15. And Paul's confidence was in the promises of God. In my text, verse 15 says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Some of your translations may say it's a faithful saying. There are five of those in the pastoral epistles. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, there are five verses that begin this way. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It's thought that perhaps... These are reflections of early creedal statements, things that the church said, believed, recited, and he is affirming the trustworthiness of those statements or the faithfulness of those sayings. Regardless, notice what Paul says in verse 15, this trustworthy statement. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners Then he goes on to say, Among whom I am the foremost. There, Paul clearly states the purpose for which Jesus came. Christ Jesus came, he says, into the world to save sinners. Now, Jesus did lots of other things, too. He taught, and he performed miracles, and... He extended a hand of compassion to those who were in need. He befriended the friendless. He helped the helpless. He encouraged the discouraged. But the most important thing Jesus did was give his life as a substitute on the cross to pay the price for your sin and for mine. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's a faithful saying. It's trustworthy. You can believe it. Our salvation is based upon the truth that Jesus died on the cross as our substitute to make atonement for our sin. And it's all because of who He is and what He has done, not because of who we are and what we have done. What did the angel tell Joseph? Remember when the angel came to tell Joseph that Mary was expecting a baby and said, you shall give him a name. And you'll name him Jesus. The angel went on to say, because he shall save his people from their sins. That's a faithful saying. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. But I want you to understand something this morning. It's not enough just to know it. it's not enough just to know this faithful saying, this trustworthy saying, or lots of other trustworthy sayings. There are a lot of people who know the truth, know intellectually what it says, who end up in hell. The Bible says even the devil Believes this trustworthy statement. The devil believes, and he knows, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So I was telling the students in the communicants class, there are a lot of people who miss salvation by 16 inches. They know it in their head, but haven't embraced it in their heart. They know it intellectually. And, and, you know, let's just be real honest. I was honest with them. I'll be honest with you. You pay me to be honest with you. It's dangerous for us here in the Bible Belt, folks. We grow up knowing it, don't we? We grow up knowing the facts of the Gospel. We grow up knowing things. And if you ask Someone on the street, if it's true, they say, Yeah, that's true. We can't just know it here. We've got to be- trust it. We've got to give ourselves to it. What does Paul say? He doesn't say, Jesus Christ died for sinners. He said, And I'm the worst one. I- I'm-, I'm the foremost sinner for whom. Jesus died. That's where you have to come. To get beyond, it's yes, Jesus died for sinners, but you know, he died for sinners like me. And it was for my sin Jesus hung on that cross. It was in my place Jesus died. We've got to get beyond the generalities to the specifics, and that's where Paul goes Christ Jesus died for sinners. And I'm the worst one for whom he gave his life. But then fifth, we see Paul's purpose in verse 16. Why did God save Paul? What was the purpose of his salvation? What did Paul see as his purpose after his conversion, after he came to faith in Christ? He says it was to serve as an example to others. Verse 16, Yet for this reason I found mercy. Here's why I found mercy, he says, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, look, God saved me so that I can say to others, look, if he can save me, he can save you. If he can save me, he can save anybody. God doesn't save you just so you can go to heaven. God saves you so you can be an example of his patience to others. And they can see what he's done in your life. And they say, well, maybe he can do that in my life. God saved him. Maybe God can save me. You see, even in salvation, it's not all about me. And folks, we live in a world where that is the theme, don't we? It's all about me. No, it's not. Even salvation is not all about you. Your salvation is about how you can influence and impact somebody else for the gospel. And then sixth, we see Paul's response. And it's in verse 17. And as I said earlier, he ends where he begins. And that's with an expression of praise and glory. To God. It's an odd place for a doxology, isn't it? You read it along and you say, what's, what's this doxology here for? Where he says in verse 17, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What's that about? That's where his testimony led him. Paul's reflection upon all that Christ has done for him led him to this hymn of praise. And folks, that's where every testimony ought to lead us. It ought to lead us to the glory and the wonder of God and who He is and what He's done for us. If someone gives their testimony and it doesn't bring you to, to lift your heart and your voice to praise in God, that testimony probably has the wrong focus. Lots of testimonies are about what I found the Lord. I decided for Christ. Look, folks. You didn't find him. He found you. You were lost. You were lost. And now, by his grace, you're found. You were blind. You couldn't see where to go. You couldn't find eternal life. But now you see because of his grace. And a real testimony points there to the grace and the mercy of Jesus. But I would submit to you that all worship comes from there. What makes worship meaningful? It's an understanding of the grace and the mercy of God to us in Jesus. And if you come to worship without that, if you come to worship just out of a matter of rote or a matter of responsibility or because it's Sunday and I'm supposed to be there, you're going to miss a lot of it. But but if your worship is a response, just like this doxology is a response of Paul's reflection upon the grace and the mercy of God to him in Christ. If your worship is a response to say, look, I understand all that God has done for me. I'm the chief of sinners and God has saved me. I want to go to worship. Then it transforms your idea of it and your experience with it. The most meaningful worship is worship that comes from a heart that understands the fullness of God's mercy and God's grace. So the question we're asking throughout this series of sermons is, how do we do church? What is, what is Paul telling this young pastor, Timothy, about how to do church? Well, folks, doing church is focusing upon the mercy of and the grace of God in Christ. To realize it really is all about Him. And we are dependent upon Him for every breath that we take and for the spiritual life that we have. And we live our lives obediently in response to that grace. We worship in response to all that He's done for us to the grace and the mercy as we do church here, folks, let's do it focused upon Him and His wonderful mercy and His amazing grace. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for its power and pray that it would be powerful in us today by Your Spirit to help us to realize the wonder and the marvel of Your grace and Your mercy toward us in Jesus. And we ask it in His name. Amen.